time for Healthy Talk Radio. Healthy Talk Radio with Julian Whitaker, MD, America's Wellness Doctor, and Deborah Ray, America's First Lady of Health. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Get in on the phone lines now by calling 1 800 307 3002. Now, here's Dr. Whitaker and Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, This is a switch. Medical liability insurers, according to today's American Medical Association news, adding personality tests to application process. They say doctors' bedside manners do matter in terms of reducing medical liability findings. Well, he joins us on a regular basis, America's wellness doctor, Julian Whitaker, MD. And with the Today's USA Today, talking about how scientists indicate brain injuries from war worse than thought, we now have the major cause of disability in this country as stroke, migraines linked to stroke. What do we need to know about healing brains, looking at um, actually blood flow, uh, damaged blood vessels in a novel fashion? Dr. William Hammisfar, neurologist. Joins Dr. Julian Whitaker and me here today. Your questions about brain health, strokes, and brain injury, and more, right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Our mission to provide you that healthcare news and views from credible sources that you won't hear anywhere else brings America's wellness. Dr. Julian Whitaker, MD, to us. Dr. Whitaker, hello and welcome. Hello, Deborah. So nice to be with you. And you're right. Many people will never hear what we bring up on this radio show anywhere else. I don't know where you get it, but you find it. Well, the Brits have some very interesting information out today about sleep and heart disease. And you and I have talked about how now sleep recognized to be as important as even diet and exercise, Dr. Whitaker. Oh, absolutely. They found that those who cut their sleep from 7 to 5 hours a night doubled their risk of fatal heart disease. Interesting. Now, how did they find people who cut their sleep? Was this for job-oriented uh, problem, or I mean, r- result, or what they, caused them to cut their sleep? Did they say they looked at British civil servants back mm-hmm. starting in 1985? Looked at their sleep patterns over um, a three-year period, and then some 20 years later followed up and looked at their sleep patterns again. And, of course, as we now find with our children, many people sleep a lot less than they once did, Mm -hmm. correlated the length of time they slept, what they were sleeping in 1985, and their heart disease, finding double the risk of of fatal uh, cardiovascular problems if they had cut their sleep by as little as two hours a night, Dr. Whitaker. Mm -hmm. Well, you understand that I use the CPAP machine because I snore and I had I was found to have sleep apnea and I think that that is one of the the most dramatic therapies available uh, is to <clears throat> allow yourself to get good solid uh, stage 4 REM sleep which no one gets if they're snoring because they go into various stages of sleep apnea but sleep you can't do without sleep you can go without food for far longer than you can go without sleep. 
So we underestimate these um, these regular eight, nine-hour uh, segments of the day that the body absolutely has to have to recharge and rejuvenate and make ready for the next day. And when you are when you are deprived of that for any reason, either you get poor sleep when you're, and I'm not talking about going buying a, a prescription sleeping pill. I'm just talking about the ability of the body to get down into restful sleep and stay there to where it's rejuvenating uh, is one of the most powerful therapies available, um, which we uh, you know we we test so many patients at Whitaker Wellness for their sleep pattern. So it's very, very important. I can't say enough about it except if you if you snore, if you're if you're yawning a lot during the day, mm-hmm. if you <clears throat> tend to get sleepy when you're driving, if you tend to get sleepy at midday, these are indications that you're not getting quality sleep. Right. So it's it's something that you really need to look into. Good well, point. Um Prostate cancer prevention. University of Toronto is doing some interesting work, um, uh, Dr. Whitaker, because they believe that prostate uh, cells actually start to turn cancerous in men in their 30s, but it takes you know decades for these cells to cause uh, symptoms. Um, they're taking a look at um, the effect of selenium in the diet, known to reduce the risk of prostate cancer over 10 years by 49 percent. Vitamin D, that's another. soy, another 50%, which tells me (laughs) that if we live a healthy lifestyle, we could virtually stop the progression of prostate cancer. Let's add them up. Selenium (laughs) would reduce the incidence of of prostate cancer by 50%, right? Right. Right. Um, Soy would Mm -hmm. reduce the prostate cancer by 49%, right? Right. Right. And what was the third one? Uh, Selenium by 49%. Selenium would reduce the... um, uh, prostate cancer by 50%. All right, that's 150% reduction of prostate cancer. Right. Pretty good, huh? Very good. <laughs> Very good. As is some interesting research uh, coming out of the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University. They're publishing it in the, kernel, uh, the current journal Science News. Apparently, they went back to uh, the Russian literature on rhodiola. Um, and they are now finding, in fact, um, uh, the, uh, a physician there, Dr. Richard Brown, uh, found it when he was trying to research something to help his, uh, his wife, a fellow psychiatrist who had long-term fatigue associated with Lyme disease. She tried Roliola. It worked famously. They've now tried it with some 300 of their respective patients. They're now publishing the journal Science News that if we take a look at the medical literature about this Siberian herb Rhodiola, um, it apparently has some amazing ability to clear the mind, to uh, to stimulate um, endurance, uh, more energy, uh, recovery from exercise. And with so many of their depressed patients, they find um, the patients just feel dramatically better using this Siberian herb rhodiola. Incredible. And what journal was that published in? Science News Online. Wonderful. Well, rhodiola is available, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's in your health food store. Mm-hmm. It is an herb. It's, it's part of the ginseng variety, correct? It is. It is. All right. Enough said. Indeed. Interesting indeed. 
Well, here's a little good, a little good news for lifestyle. Uh, comes uh, from uh, Medscape WebMD out of uh, the Netherlands. Uh, randomized trials finding that diabetic teetotalers may want to take a look <laughs> at research that suggests that a glass of wine with dinner improves blood sugar control, particularly among patients who had higher hemoglobin A1C levels. Now, uh, this uh, presented research from the European Association for the Study of a Diabetes uh, meeting, which is ongoing right now, that moderate wine consumption, wine with dinner, improves fasting blood sugar level in type 2 diabetics, Dr. Whitaker. And that's the good news. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, wine actually is listed, red wine, mm-hmm. that is, right. is listed as a health food along with fruits and vegetables and fish oil and fiber and, and other, uh, you know, moderate uh, intakes of red wine because of the, um, <clears throat> of the elements that are contained in the red wine that have uh, longevity benefits. So I'm a big fan of the benefits of red wine. So that's, a, that's a, another interesting tidbit of information that you can have fun while getting healthy. Absolutely. Well, it's a report entitled The Cardiovascular Toll of Stress. It's from Johns Hopkins University Research. It's published in the current issue of the British medical journal Lancet um, that um, hospital uh, physicians are now seeing that emotional stress is the same thing for heart disease risk as physical stress. But according to uh, Dr. Brotman, uh, who uh, directs the hospitalist program at John Hopkins um, uh, Hospital, Dr. Whitaker. Lots of doctors blow that off, thinking that emotional stress is not a physical problem when the research shows otherwise. Emotional stress will cause the body to go into flight or fight mechanisms. Emotional stress will cause, I think, inflammation factors to increase. Emotional stress will definitely cause dysphoria uh, and destroy the uh, quality of life, which will lead to other diseases as well. Um, we, we've done several programs on the use of a, of a, of a uh, prescription drug called Dilantin, right. which uh, can help with all kinds of emotional and psychological distresses, like dysphorias, uh, anxiety, obsessive-compulsive disease, because it just smooths out the electrical uh, feel in the uh, in the brain. We'll, we need to revisit Dilantin mm-hmm. uh, again on these shows because it um, is such a powerful, safe, and inexpensive way to handle um, the dysphoria of emotional distress. Absolutely. We're going to return. Dr. Julian Whitaker joining us today. Neurologist Dr. William Hammisfar will talk about a novel way to take a look at the health of our brain on Healthy Talk Radio. America's number one source for healthcare information, news, and medical breakthroughs. Making America healthy coast to coast. It's Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray and Dr. Julian Whitaker. An important guest joining Julian Whitaker, MD, and me here today to talk about a topic of which we hear a great deal more these days. Now, 700,000 plus reported strokes each and every year in this country. The major cause of disability. Today's USA Today talking about scientists trying to understand how traumatic brain injury, talking about our, 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 our returning veterans, finding out that the wounds are more insidious than they once thought brings a unique 
neurologist to us today. And by way of introduction, uh, Dr. Whitaker, uh, the neurologist, uh, Dr. Bill Hammersbar, who joins us today, uh, went before the Florida Board of Medicine, who basically told him there is no conventional treatment for stroke, and you can't be treating patients for stroke, telling them that they're going to uh, to get better because <laughs> there, there, there is no known beneficial therapy for stroke. And he brought in uh, uh, several dozen neurologists that he had successfully treated for stroke, as well as uh, NFL players and, and a host of other patients, because whether it's stroke, brain injury, autism, attention deficit, he looks at uh, damaged blood vessels and helps them to heal in a novel fashion. Dr. William Hammersfar joining Dr. Whitaker and me here today. Hello and welcome, Dr. Hammersfar. Oh, thank you for, the, for, for inviting me on the air today. Yeah, nice having you on. I, we've briefly touched base and I'm very interested in what you do. So give us a, give us a, a thumbnail sketch to start off. Okay, about, about 1995, and this goes to show how slow medicine moves in this country, which you know, Dr. Whitaker, Mm-hmm. How slow, how terribly slow it moves. But in 1994 and 1995, I treated a practice primarily of severe brain injury patients. Mm-hmm. I used uh, some of the newer technologies at the time, electronic brain mapping techniques that look at how the brain functions electronically. And That's also, with the e- is that with the EEG? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an EEG is, a, is like an EKG for the heart for right. the listeners. It, it, it measures the electronic brain activity of different areas and draws a, a, a color picture of the brain actually as it functions. And with the computer, you can enhance it uh, to look at specific things. We also used a new technology at the time, which actually is just is still new, even even now 10 or 12 years later. It's just now beginning to be approved by Medicare, which is a technology that looks at blood flow in the brain by looking at blood vessels in real time. And actually, we can look at blood individual blood cells as they travel through the brain. Mm-hmm. What we found was that the areas of brain injury in concussions and, and auto accidents and cerebral palsy um, that you would see on the brain maps and you would see on the MRIs, in those areas the blood vessels were constricted or narrowed. Um, this is really the first time that this had ever been seen in live in a live individual with this new mm-hmm. technology outside of really a, an autopsy lab where we could see the same things microscopically. So let me repeat that. At the area where there was brain damage there was localized vasoconstriction or constriction of the blood vessels. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. Okay. Now, and this was localized, okay? Very localized, correct, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, with the, te- with the transcranial Doppler or the ultrasound that we looked at the blood vessels, we had a unique tool now where we could actually look at a blood vessel and try to give a medication that made that blood vessel enlarge. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did uh, in 94. We took about... I think the first group of people we took were 60 patients on Social Security disability, which means that they couldn't hold a job, uh, any job in the state of Florida. And we put them on um, on medicines. We found medications that specifically opened up those blood vessels, and we did that by by looking at the blood vessel, giving them medication, re-looking 15 minutes later, and if the blood vessel had opened, great, we used actually higher doses of that medicine. If it didn't open, we moved on to the next medicine, until we found a customized medicine for each patient. Mm-hmm. And what we found was that the first 60 patients we treated roughly who were on Social Security disability, and these results were published on MedForum, one of the early Internet medical journals, and were verified by, by Medicare, in fact. Of the first 60 patients, 90% of them were, uh, they all had, most of them also had severe migraines and, 90, and were on narcotics. 90% were off of narcotics in 90 days. And 
more importantly, 90% were off Social Security within six months and back to work. So that's nine out of ten went back to work off of Social Security disability and off with, narcotics. with medications that specifically caused increased blood flow at the site of injury. Right. And it's very interesting because when we did this, we had almost Lazarus-like effects in some patients. Some patients, mm-hmm. we'd give them the medication. As the blood vessel dilated, they would immediately be able to do things like get up and, and do, uh, some had actually been in a wheelchair, they were able to get up out of the wheelchair, walk. As a medicine, we used initially short-acting medicine so we could titrate the dosage mm-hmm. and also for safety purposes. As we used these short-acting medicines, 15 to 20 minutes later, they would be back on the gurney or the wheelchair or whatever else. And that led us into an approach of, of trying out different types of medicines to enhance blood flow. And, and that's, that eventually ended up winning Medicare reviews for a new therapy for stroke and, and other neurovascular diseases, which included autism, ADD, ADHD, and even dementias, like many of the patients identified as Alzheimer's are actually fascinating. Now, um, patients. Is, if Medicare is paying for, are there any other physicians that are using the sonogram and, and, and coordinating that with medication? I don't know of anybody else who's doing it on an outpatient basis. On an inpatient basis in, in um, operating room monitoring, it's being used uh, and mm-hmm. in ICUs on a very limited degree. Um, so it, there is some being used in, in the in, intensive in, uh, patient situation in the hospital side, but as an outpatient basis, I don't know if anybody else has done it um, at all, has done then or since then. We've been doing this since 1994 now. Um, and when we, when Medicare reviewed me, we they looked at 2,500 individual situations. They found only one person didn't get better out of the 2,500. Uh, when the Board of Medicine reviewed me, yeah. we ran 360 consecutive patients who were paralyzed uh, for all for longer than one year. Most of them, I think, were average seven years, somewhere out to maybe 20 years. And in three weeks, 93% of them had had major improvement as documented by outsiders and, and as verified by, by the, the investigations. That's incredible. Now, you have also done some work with uh, Dr. Neubauer, who yeah. has hyperbaric oxygen f- uh, treatment facilities. Yeah. Tell us how this would coincide with use of hyperbaric oxygen. Well, you know, the paradigm really needs to change entirely. Uh, what we see with, see, with uh, the modern PET scans and SPEC scans is we'll see an area of injury extending out from the area that you see on the CT scan, the MRI. When you see a CT and an MRI, you see an area of injury. It'll, it'll often be maybe an eighth of an inch, but this patient is absolutely devastated. When yes, you look it at, has this large penumbra like the ring around the moon, right? Yeah. When you, when you look at a PET scan or a SPEC scan, which looks at function of the brain tissue and, or blood flow of the brain tissue, you see that from the area of stroke going out into what we all thought was normal tissue, you'll see a very large area of non-functional or poorly functioning or hibernating mm-hmm. tissue. That hibernating tissue uh, or damaged tissue a lot of times extends uh, four or five times the size of the original injury and interesting enough often extends across into the good side of the brain the unaffected side of the brain and there's some reasons why it goes to the good side and affects that area too now uh, the use of these substances with hyperbaric oxygen hyperbaric oxygen which is large amounts of oxygen under pressure tends to aid people with stroke also right. and does so by oxygenating the blood close to the injury oxygenating the cells right. close to the injury. But um, you have seen that your your techniques will enhance the uh, benefits of hyperbaric, or in, how has that worked with you? Because I know we, mentioned, we talked about this. 
Well, I kind of think of what, what, what we see with the ultrasounds is that if you can make the blood vessel function better, then the brain tissue around that blood vessel starts to improve and function better and, and can in some cases actually heal, but in most cases will actually function better. So whatever mm-hmm. you can do to either bring oxygen into that tissue to make it work better or actually bring oxygen into the damaged blood vessel. Now, the way a blood vessel works is that, and you know this, Dr. Whitaker, but your, your listeners may not, a blood vessel uh, derives its nutrition, its oxygen, not from the blood flow going through the middle of the, of the blood vessel, but rather from small capillaries that come in from the outside of the blood vessel and then kind of dive into the blood vessel and mm-hmm. into a muscular layer in the blood vessel. Dr. Hammersfar, we don't want to hold that thought, hold the, that point right there. We're going to come back to you, back to others, talking about the health of your brain with Dr. Julian Whitaker, 1-800-307-3002, right here on Healthy Talk Radio. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but it might just be good for your health. Now, here's Julian Whitaker, MD, America's Wellness Doctor, and Deborah Ray, America's First Lady of Health. Dr. William Hammesfar joining us to, uh, today. For those of you who asked me to spell H-A-M-M-E-S-F-A-H-R, neurologist who takes a look at damaged blood vessels, whether the patient is autistic, attention deficit, brain injury, stroke, migraine, uh, and enlists, um, as we are speaking, uh, many healing aids from hyperbaric oxygen to topical agents like nitroglycerin, uh, sublingual uh, magnesium. We invite you to join us with Dr. Whitaker today at one and Dr. Hemisphere was relating to us um, how those um, uh, vessels actually get their nutrition, get their oxygen. Please continue, Dr. Hemisphere. Well, so if you can, the way this works is that with use of a dilator of blood vessels like nitroglycerin or use hyperbaric, which improves oxygen, what they all do is they bring oxygen into the tissue and into the blood vessels as well as into the brain tissue. And that allows the blood vessel to start to heal, and as it heals, it dilates. So you can actually increase blood flow. So over the long run, whether you're using a vasodilator or you're using hyperbaric, you get dilation of blood vessels as you get healing. But over the short run, you can get constriction with hyperbaric. So by using combination therapies, you can get the benefits of both therapies and get even more improvement than with either therapy individually. Uh, So hyperbaric is very effective. It's very effective in my, as you know, we do use a lot of hyperbaric oxygen at Whitaker Wellness, but I'm um, concerned a little bit with the fact that hyperbaric oxygen uses 100% oxygen. Right. That's a good thing. But that also, by eliminating the CO2 right. that's in the air, it causes some vasoconstriction. Uh, most of us realize that hyperbaric oxygen will cause vasoconstriction, but if CO2 is added back to the mix... Right. Then you would have um, vasodilation right. along uh, relative to the CO2 added to the mix. So we've been trying to get our patients in hyperbaric oxygen just to periodically breath hold uh, for 15 seconds a minute. So yep. that would cut out about three breaths a minute if they would just do that, which keeps the CO2 at least up you know, close to the normal range since they're breathing out CO2 into a mixture that has none in the... Um, in the inspired air. Well, I um, think that that approach that you use is, is a very sophisticated approach, although uh, uh, non, you know, non-fancy um, approach. 
but very sophisticated medical approach to that problem that hyperbaric can have both good benefits to it and bad benefits to it. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to be a, a good laboratory that is is a good good clinic that's using uh, doing a lot of hyperbaric and getting good results is sensitive to the fact that it's like any other medicine, it's like a nitroglycerin or an acupril. Any medicine, you have to get the dose right, and you have to look at the clinical response to patients, and you have to sort of anticipate what problems you might run into, like as you're doing, and and use a very, very good, very novel approach that of, of maintaining uh, the carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide is a vasodilator in the bloodstream uh, for the listeners, and so it's, it's, it's helping to counteract any of the negatives, potential negative, which are rare, but potential negatives of the hyperbaric, uh, of the oxygen. So I think Correct. that's an excellent approach to use with it. Yeah, see, the, the oxygen's not at fault here, it, uh, you know, with the vasoconstriction. It is purely a matter of, of uh, insufficient amount of CO2 in the system, which causes the vasoconstriction. And so this is, uh, there were some studies at UCLA, you may have uh, been aware of these, where uh, they looked at 100% oxygen used in, not in the non-hyperbaric uh, environment where it's just 100% oxygen they found that this actually could be negative uh, because of the reduction in the CO2 and the vasoconstriction yeah. of such so that's, yeah. that's what uh, uh, kind of got me interested in it as well um, you do the sonograms to find the specific uh, vessels and then you uh, titrate or you determine the specific medication that will act as a vasodilator right Okay. Yeah, it turns out if you look at these patients who've either had a concussion or a brain injury or a vaccination-related injury, as we're seeing with the children with ADD and autism or, of course, with stroke, it turns out that these conditions don't really affect just one blood vessel at one time. That's very rare. Generally, what's happened is that the blood vessels have become chronically more and more injured, and then a small subset of the blood vessels or a small section of them have sort of totally decompensated, causing the injury, the, the overt injury. So really you've got two separate groups of blood vessels that you're working on treating, one set which are kind of chronically injured and narrowed, either from the concussion, from a head injury, from foot, like as football players have or soccer players have, or from aging, which often leads into strokes, or from vaccinations or toxic reactions. And then you have the second set where the actual stroke has occurred or the actual more severe area of brain injury. And those blood vessels are injured in a different fashion from the other ones which are more irritated. But... What they all have in common is that the blood vessels get narrowed and start to cut off blood flow. Mm-hmm. When we see a blood vessel injured on ultrasound, that blood vessel has narrowed by more than 60%. It's down to about 30% of its normal size. And so the medications that we'll, so we'll end up using different medications, uh, some that tend to work more on sort of normal blood vessels and the, and the feeder blood vessels into damaged areas that are normal but irritated. And then we'll use other medicines that deal with the specific damaged areas and we'll actually use the PET scans and the SPEC scans and the ultrasounds to almost give us a roadmap. Certain medicines like hydralazine work more down at the capillary level. Others, uh, like the nitrates, work more on the venous system, which helps to pull blood flow into the brain and through the brain. And others work more on, on the big feeder blood vessels. So you can customize the therapy into the area of the damage and into the response, just like you do with the hyperbaric as you're customizing the therapy to the patient. Uh, we do the same thing. Which um, of the uh, vasodilators that you use, which one do you think you, you use the most of? Well, I use I use mainly, uh, not mainly, I use, most of my patients will end up on between five and six medications across three or four years. 
but most of them are used with nitrates and with the ACE inhibitors. Mm-hmm. But there is a catch to all these therapies, to, to the use of vasodilators, and the catch is, is that as the body heals, the amount of medicine you need has to be changed. And okay. what happens is that as the blood vessel expands and enlarges, the brain gets better. Mm-hmm. But later on, but the blood vessel also starts to heal, which means it needs less medicine to maintain its, di- its dilation. Correct. And if you don't adjust that dosage across time and across a couple other features, what happens is the blood vessel won't overdilate because then it can break. What happens is it re-narrows, which gives a risk of a stroke occurring. Now, why would it re-narrow? It, it actually, the, actually, the reason it re-narrows is kind of—I'm uh, not sure how to put this to the, the listener, but. What happens really is that in the very early, as the, as you start to dilate the blood vessel too much, or you have a patient on a little bit too much medication, you have, for instance, on some dose that's right for him, and then a month later he needs less medicine. More of that medication now seems to work on the rest of the systemic blood vessels than on the brain blood vessels at that point. And what happens then is the blood pressure starts to drop. Now the blood pressure doesn't drop enough that you can see it in the arm or in the pulse or in a blood pressure reading, but it does drop if you monitor the blood flow in the brain. And so the body sends out a sympathetic surge, which constricts all blood vessels in the body to maintain that blood pressure in the normal range that's beginning to drop. And it just turns out that there are more sympathetic nerves that narrow blood vessels in the brain than anywhere else, so that has an effect of narrowing those blood vessels faster than other blood vessels and shutting blood away from the brain into the rest of the body, which keeps the blood pressures up, which is why you can't monitor that. But it, it causes then the risk of, of stroke. So there's a there's a constant sort of fine-tuning adjustment that goes on with, with the use of vasodilators. We, we, you can get tremendously tremendous results. You know, when, when, when Medicare reviewed us and the Board of Medicine reviewed us, we didn't measure whether a person was better on standard scales. We didn't use like a linear scale like used in physical therapy where if you move your arm, and lift 10 pounds, and now, now a month later with medicine, you can go up to 11 pounds, you've had success. We measured the development of new activities of daily living, the ability to do something new around the house at the office you couldn't do before, which generally involves multiple muscle groups and also often multiple you know, new cognitive functions. Absolutely. Uh, so we, we had a very stringent requirement, and what they found by using these vasodilators and adjusting them each and every day across three weeks was that we had about a 97% rate of new activities that they are living by the end of the first month of treatment if we monitored people every day, changed their dosage every day over about a four-hour time frame. And what when they we also found, Medicare, Dr. We have an 80% success rate if we saw people once every three or four weeks across the year. So, But there was a, a, there's a, a, a pattern of you have to increase the dose and then you have to decrease it, and you have to also look for environmental factors out there like weather changes, uh, seasonal changes that have their own effect on blood vessels. So there's a great deal of there's a great deal of monitoring that goes on with this therapy to maintain and optimize blood flow into the healing tissue. Um, where give out your telephone number because I certainly like individuals who have family members with stroke to realize that there truly is option. There truly are options to improvement. You look here in Florida, correct? Yes, and, and you know, really, it's, it really is a new paradigm. Uh, the, the hyperbaric, the, the vasodilators, the different medications, the, the, the nutritional approach, the holistic approach, is is the paradigm of, of not the future. It's the paradigm of now that people need to start to focus on and use. That it's a it's a completely new world with respect to brain in, brain injury and stroke. Mm-hmm. We're kind of akin to where the cardiologists were back in the 40s when suddenly we had therapies that actually worked 
and that we have multiple therapies that work even better when added together. Yeah, we've had we've had very good success with hyperbaric oxygen in stroke patients. It's and and the and the nutritional approach and the magnesium and the 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 other I mean a lot of these nutritional things, these holistic approaches aren't really natural. They're really natural but more sophisticated because they're yeah, customized very. to chemistry and metabolism of the body and they are very successful. So you use magnesium as a vasodilator? Uh, we, I've used magnesium in a lot of patients uh, as a vasodilator. I've done it both IV as well as, as orally. Um, I don't use that in my patient population now uh, because uh, we're just not set up to do that. Really, the, the approach that you have to use with these stroke, brain injury, Alzheimer's, ADD, autism is a multi-clinic, multi-discipline approach. It's it's very sophisticated approaches that with with take people that need to work together and, and to understand what each, each other is doing. Sure. Now, in the autistic group, uh, I'm of the assumption that virtually all of them have had their uh, series and cycles of vaccinations. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, that's been my experience too. That that it's a, a, a huge number. There's a there's a, a smaller percentage that seem to have a birth related trauma. Uh, and, and then there's a smaller percentage also that seem to have, in my experience, that seem to be auto accident related. Um, where but the majority of them get them after their two-year-old or 18-month-old booster shot. But it's the vaccinations that are, are causing the problems that I see too. And it's not just the mercury, in my experience. It's too. not. I don't think so either. It, for many of them, it's the chronic uh, inflammatory state that's being induced by the repetitive vaccination. So there's several different uh, etiologies in, in effect of, the, of this autism. Yep, and it is a serious problem. It's gone from, the autism has gone from 1 in 2,000 to 1 in 99 in New Jersey. Just unbelievable. That yeah, is and, and this isn't huge this question of people finding something and looking for something. This is real. Uh, you know, autism, ADD, and Asperger's, and attention deficit disorder, migraine are all sort of, you know, uh, part of the same spectrum, including probably MS in, in women, or probably all sort of the same spectrum or continuation of a, of a disorder. And and it's a massive, true epidemic here in the United States, not present in Europe and some of the other countries, but it's present to modern American medicine. Yes, we uh, had Dr. Kenny Bach, who is up in uh, the New England area, who has an autism treatment. He does a lot with uh, sensitivities, with uh, 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 chelation of mercury, <clears throat> with food allergies, and uh, so he has a multi-pronged approach as well. Right. But this yeah. is a very unique approach, using those vasodilators to enhance the blood flow and heal the arteries that are supplying the blood to the areas of the brain which are dysfunctional. That's right. very important, very yeah. exciting too. And an interesting point, Dr. Whitaker, that I've learned from Dr. Hamasvar in, in a previous interview was he had the opportunity to go to his, his son's classroom and, and got some amazing answers asking about medication use, migraine use. And if you also roll into that discussion, Dr. Hamasvar, what you see about blood vessels in, in anybody who consumes artificial sweeteners. Yeah, the artificial sweeteners are clearly... Um, causing narrowing of the blood vessels in the brain. We, again, back in the early days, 94 through probably about 2001, when we were doing constant monitoring of patients and, and trying to figure out how to use these medicines safely. One thing, we, we had a patient who came in who uh, couldn't get her blood vessels open. You know, She had had a small stroke, and her husband had a major stroke, and we were essentially doing preventative care on her and couldn't get her blood vessels open. Well, then one day I went out and saw her, and she was smoking cigarettes in between the, the repetitive ultrasounds. So we got her to stop doing that. 
but the blood vessel still wouldn't open. And it turned out that she was also drinking about four or five diet sweetened sodas a day also. And once we got that stopped, about three to four weeks later, the blood vessels started responding normally. Again, remember, we don't see blood vessels being narrow in the brain until they're a third of their normal size, roughly. So they've really shrunk down. What we actually see on the blood vessel ultrasound is that the blood is being pulled into the brain, being sucked in as though it's being sucked through a straw because the brain is running out of the ability to function properly. And so it has a mechanism to suck blood into it when it needs it. And that's what we're actually seeing. We're seeing the brain begin to decompensate and kicking in its safeguard system to, to, to prevent itself from having a stroke. And we're seeing that same thing, same pattern consistently in kids with attention deficit disorder, severity, very severe patterns, but the same thing in kids with autism and Asperger's syndrome. Dr. Hammesar, hold that thought. We'll pick it up and return. Dr. Julian Whitaker, America's wellness doctor. Dr. William Hammesar joining us today to talk about brain health on Healthy Talk Radio. You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio, worldwide, whenever and wherever you need us at HealthyTalkRadio.com. Now, more with America's favorite healthcare consumer, Deborah Ray. America's wellness doctor, Julia Whitaker, MD, uh, joining us, uh, as well as neurologist, Dr. William Hammesfar. And whether you're listening to us uh, and your concern is stroke, uh, brain injury, head injury, autism, attention deficit, uh, we were, were speaking of this novel way of looking at blood vessels, helping them to heal uh, agents like magnesium, hyperbaric oxygen. And Dr. Hammesfar, you were going to tell us about uh, going to your son's class and asking about the incidence of migraines. Well, most people, most parents with kids with attention, or the school was divided into different classes, and the, the class with uh, children with severe attention deficit disorder uh, had maybe 40 children into it, and they really had trouble concentrating. And they, of course, they had a lot of self-esteem issues from that. And so I ended up asking them, because of this relationship to migraine, I ended up asking the children about if they had migraines. And, of course, my experience is that parents don't believe the kids have migraines or stomach pains, abdominal migraines, but that often the kids complain of it. And when I asked that question, probably 90% of the hands went up in the, in the audience uh, of, the, of the kids. How so old were the kids? How old were they? They were about uh, 12 and 13 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, some of them were older because they have been held back, too. Uh, so it was a, a massive number. And, you know, many of these, these kids can be got better because with simple things like magnesium or venpositine, which are over-the-counter, and help to dilate the blood vessels and and then, uh, you know, of course, the hyperbaric and other approaches are, are that very valuable with these kinds of patients. I had one thing I wanted to mention, though. And, and, uh, there is a, a paradigm that the listeners really need to understand that, that getting better is really a two-pronged approach. One approach is to treat the brain injury and treat the blood vessels, which are keep maintaining the brain injury as, as injured, and maybe even, even reconstructing the brain. And, and that's... Those things are done with the use of vasodilators, uh, hyperbaric, uh, nutraceuticals, and, and stem cells in, in certain situations. And then there's a second approach, which is to treat the trigger that caused this injury. And that's done a completely different fashion. Uh, and that's done with, again, nutritional approaches, nutraceutical approaches, spinal health. But the patients need to think, and the families need to think in terms of, you've got a two-pronged approach to, to the problem. One is both treating the injury and one is treating the trigger of the injury, which might include chelation or whatever. There's going to be many different causes of treating the trigger. And you have to go down both pathways at the same time. Um, and this, the, the uh, wellness clinic that you have has been a pioneer in that approach towards 
treating the and preventing the problem and treating the injuries or treating the, the cause of the injuries as well as, of course, treating the injuries themselves. That approach, that two-pronged approach is very, very crucial. Well, it makes sense because <clears throat> when you use uh, elements that enhance the general function of the of the systems, you're going to get better, good results. You do good work, my friend. Thank Give you. us your telephone number again, please. 727-518-7294 in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Good. We will have you back. Thank you. Our thanks to Dr. Hemisphere. Thanks to Dr. Whitaker. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you, live long, stay healthy.